spiritual chaos, just that state of utter um, craziness in your life. And, um, and if you're here today and you've got uh, some disorder, some of the chaos, uh, we got the... Uh, uh, Carly got the phone call this week of when she's going to start at DBU and that automatically throws mom and dad and, and thinking about empty nesting and all that kind of stuff. There's that automatic, oh, like that's fast, right? And so that was a piece of uh, this week and everything. We're stoked on life that she's going there, but, but that just throws things into orbit as far as what's about to happen in our own house and everything. And so, and it could be something small that kind of sends you into orbit at times. It can be something huge that does, but in the middle of that chaos, right? God is still there. God still loves you and he still has great things in store. And so, man, we've, we've looked at this and we've talked about Genesis 1 and 2. No chaos at all. Beautiful. Everything is perfect. Awesome. And we get third chapter and then chaos ensues. Chaos, like it just unleashes. Um, and really and truly, um, we're still in that as we talk through this um, beautiful picture. But whether chaos abounds, whether it continues, whether it, it grows in its intensity or if it ends, Today, man, just find yourself worshiping God, even in the tough stuff. Um, point number one is we uh, start as we ended off last week. We're going to pick up where we do uh, where we ended up, but don't forget who holds the storm in His hands. Okay, don't forget who holds the storm. Last week we were in Genesis chapter one, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter seven and verse one. God said, "Go into the ark, you and all of your household. I have seen your righteousness." And then the beautiful thing is Genesis 7, 4, for in seven days, I will send rain, 40 days and 40 nights. And then in those times, all are going to die. Like, what if we just, like, what if we just said amen and we just ended it on that? Like, like that doesn't seem very hopeful, right? Like, that doesn't seem like a God who loves us. That doesn't seem uh, very merciful at all. Like, it just seems like, where is God in that whole story? And so you've got to continue on in this. And so look in verse 16 of chapter 7. And the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. Why? Because God said it was going to last for 40 days and 40 nights. But man, here's the deal. When God shut Noah and his family in, and there was nothing that was going to interfere with what God had in store for Noah in that moment. He shut him in. He sealed it. And when he sealed him inside of that moment, like there was protection, like there's nobody's protection. So here's what you need to know. If you are a, a believer, if you are a firm believer in who Jesus Christ is and you have surrendered your life and you have allowed him to become Lord and Savior, Jesus has become Lord and Savior of your life. And just like Noah was sealed inside of that, you are sealed inside of your relationship with God. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be rough and tumble outside. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be tough situations inside of your work environment or even your home environment, but it means that you are shut into God's will for your life. And it's a beautiful place to be. Doesn't mean that it's safe, right? Doesn't mean that it's easy, right? It just means that he is with you in the midst of all of those storms. Look in verses 18 through 24. Verse 18, the water prevailed and increased. What happened? But the ark floated. The ark continued to float. The ark did its job. Verse 19 and 20, the water prevailed more and more until what? 
the mountains were covered. Verse 21 through 23, if it had the breath of life in it, gone. Animals, mankind, blotted is the word that's used here, which means gone. Everything. Look at, continue on verse 23. The one who understood the storm, Noah, he was left. Why did Noah understand? Because he had a track with God. He had a relationship with him enough that, that God was able to say, here's what's brewing. And I need you to follow me on this. I need you to trust me in this. And for 120 years, what did Noah do? He built a humongous ark because God told him to. And as he began to do all of those things, man, he's also telling everybody, hey, here's what's coming up. Here's what's brewing. Here's what God is about to do. Here's what God is in the process of. For 120 years, he continued to tell them and tell them and warn them and let them know, here's what God is doing. And so maybe there's some of us in here who are still going, man, that's not very gracious of God. God did this for 120 years. He allowed Noah to preach. He allowed Noah to set it in motion. Here's what, and no one listened. No one cared to stop their days, stop their pursuit of their own life, and to listen to what God was doing. Nobody. Obvious. Why is it obvious? Because only Noah and his family get on the ark. It's crazy. For 150 days, chaos prevailed. God decided that's how long it would be. Here's a great quote. While in the storms of life, it's easy to forget that the storm doesn't have you like God has you. Like when you're in those storms, right? It's easy to feel like the storm's got me. Man, we clean out the, the center point of, uh, part of your house and, and you, you figure out that closet and you throw everything out so that you can climb in and, and you're just sitting there and you're going, man, I'm, I'm just, oh, just got, the storm's got me. It could, this could be the way it goes, right? Like, like we could have that fatalist mentality that it's all over with, said and done, and that's not the case. The storm does not have you. God has you. Even if you were to pass in the middle of that storm, as believers, God still has you. But here's the deal. Why? Because the waves are too big at times. Man, the breaths in between those waves as they come in, they're too short at times. And depths at times, they're way too deep. The storms only prevail if God allows them to prevail. So in those moments, what do we do? Like we, we, we center ourselves to let God know, hey, we know that you hold these storms in the palm of your hand. And God, we know that our, our, our safety, all of those things, like it's in your hands. It's not like you can walk out and stop the storm. It's not like you're the, the person that holds all of that in his hands, but you know who does. And so in those moments, you recognize who holds the storm in his hands. Truth is, storms come to our, into our lives so that our faith can grow. Like if, if, it's, if we're only great Christians when times are good, right? Like that's easy. That's, those are the easy times maybe to live for the Lord. But if we only have faith in those easy going times, what do the people around us learn? Because those people are gonna go through storms as well. But in those storms, like those are the times where we need to prove to them that our God exists, that he cares for us, and that he's going through these storms with us. When those storms last longer we, than we think that they should, that should only increase our prayer life exponentially. 
I don't know if you, if you watched the news and on Thursday, man, you were tracking with all of the storms that were coming. I don't know if, if at every point in time you heard the little, I don't know, your screen turns green on your computer and it's WBAP and it's, and they're telling you, you're about to die. Like, I don't know if that's your sentiment when you see that. Like, I don't know if that's you and panic ensues. Like, like panic shouldn't ensue, but prayer should. Right? Like your family needs to see, uh, like, dad, if you're the one who's running around thinking, oh, we're going to die. Like your whole family's thinking the same way. Like, like we've got to be great leaders in those times, right? And so it's so sad when the reverse happens and our faith fails and our prayer life drops almost out of sight. Man, those are the times where we get to put God on display in our lives. They really are those storms of life. God's grace and his judgment from last week, they run parallel. Only eight people found grace inside of this boat. Eight people. Eight people. That's, aren't you, like, wouldn't you be so stoked on life that you were part of Noah's family in that moment? Some estimates are between two to 10 billion people were on the planet during that time. And only eight, only eight of them survived. From 4004 BC when Adam and Eve's creation to the flood, which was 1656-ish years later, whoever was alive at that time that didn't have Noah's last name, gone. In a blink of an eye or in the however long it took them to However, however many mountains they tried to climb to get to the highest point to think I'm going to save my life. God had a different plan. God had a different plan. Point number two, in your chaos, God knows you and he remembers right where you are. It's not like God's going, oh man, where do they go? Where? I've lost them. When I was about, I don't know, five years old, my parents, we went to Sears Roebuck a lot, downtown Dallas. My dad drove a truck for Sears. And the beautiful thing, if you went downtown to the Sears store, there was a candy section, like all kinds of candy in that middle section. The people that are in here that are my age or older, you're like, I remember that. And so, man, I could smell the candy. And so when we walked into Sears, I was always driven by my nose. And at times, my nose wanting to find the candy got separated from my parents. And I remember on this day, it was an awesome day, but then I, once I found the candy, then I ventured away from the candy and I went over and I saw this, it was like a whole dumbbell setup, gym setup. And so I went over and I sat down on the, on the, uh, the bench and, and they had weights on there. And so I just thought, man, I should try this. And so nobody's around, right? And so it looked like there was a lot of weight on there. So I was just going to test how strong I was maybe at four or five years old. And so I do, I, I, I pull it off the bar and then it was like nothing. I was like, I am Superman. So I just sit there and I start doing this. And then all of a sudden I hear over Kent Wells. If Kent Wells is in the store, would you please come to And I'm going, no, I am doing all of these weights and everything. And then finally, my mom and dad, who have been in a panic mode, they come over and they see me lifting these weights. And if, if there would have been actual weights inside or the, the weight was actual, my dad did the, the math on it. It would have been 100 pounds on there as a four or five-year-old. But I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, man, I I'm like, Superman, this is awesome. So I'm pumping, pumping, and then mom and dad come over there, and then they, what do they do? They panicked. They're sitting there going, how in the world are you lifting 100 pounds? And I was just sitting, there was nothing in it, right? But my parents, and they panicked. 
They thought I was lost. They thought they had lost me for good. And here I was over here just living my own little paradise, seeing the candy, smelling candy, lifting weights, having a heyday all by myself. But that's the deal. God knows exactly where we are. My parents that day, they had no fat clue where I was inside that store. Man, things today, all of these years later, like I guarantee there would have been way more panic inside of that store over a lost kid. Back then it was like, okay, we'll find them somewhere. But today, man, you go ballistic if you can't find your kids immediately. Why? Because we see all the craziness in the news, right? Back in the day, that was, it wasn't quite as crazy back then. But I think there's moments and times where we think God's lost us. We think God doesn't care where we are. We think God doesn't care what I'm going through. And I just want you to hear today, God does. God knows exactly what's going through. I believe he's counted every tear that you've cried over whatever situation you're going through. He loves you. He loves you. He knows right where you are. Look at Genesis chapter eight, verse one. But God... I was with somebody this week, and I can't even remember the context, but I remember hearing them talk about their context of what was going on in their life. And then those two words were their, uh, their explanation of how they got through it. And they said, but God. Man, how many but God stories do you have? Like, don't you want more of those where you just trusted him and you saw him at work and you're able to say, like, that's your verbal testimony of that situation. And you just go, but God, look at it in verse one there, but God remembered Noah. Pretty easy, right? Everybody else is gone. Like God remembered Noah. Pretty easy to remember him now, right? He doesn't have billion people begging him, calling out for him. He doesn't have all of that. But God remembered Noah, so God moved to him. God provided for him, and he saw him through it. And then as you look through those next verses, he made a wind blow. Why did he make the wind blow? To start the process of drying up all of the water. Then he made the waters subside. And then he closed the fountains of the deep. And then he shut the windows of heaven where the rain was coming. And then the water, what did it do? It receded. In 150 days, the water abated. You know, we hear that story of 40 days and 40 nights, but that's just the storm part of it. There's always residual after the storm, right? There's always something that has to happen that's going to take longer in the process. Maybe for some of you, a fence fell down. Maybe for some of you, uh, a tree fell down. Maybe for some of you, uh, both of those things happened. But inside of the storm, a storm like this, there was lots of residual. There's lots of damage. And then in verse four, the ark came to rest on the Ararat Mountains. So here, all of these days, water begins to subside. And when it gets to that place where they were at that point in time was the Ararat Mountains. And so here's the ark and it has come to rest there. Look at chapter eight of verse, and then verse 12. He waited another seven days and again, he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth, at least enough for that uh, dove to, to grab a piece of that olive leaf. And then, then he waited another seven days and he sent forth the dove and she did not return to him anymore. It's a great picture here. 40 days, 40 nights, lots of rain, uh, probably a pretty dark scenario, no real light, no real hope for those 40 days. 
And at the end of those 40 days, he opened the window and he sent out the raven and then he sent out this dove. And then in verse 12, we know that the dove didn't return, but know this, Noah did not jump ship then. Like he waited. He waited on the Lord. Then the dove was a sign that things were changing, but hey, still wait. And then even though the storm ceases, even though the residual, the collateral from the storm, it can take a while for all of that to come, but he still didn't jump early. Just like God hasn't forgotten you, don't forget him. Don't forget to trust him. And don't forget uh, to seek him, to spend time with him. Verse 13, on the 601st year, the first month, the first day of the month, the waters dried off. Noah removed the covering to find exactly what he needed, dry land. But still, even then, look at it. He didn't jump. He didn't jump. Verse 14, even still, it was the second month on the 27th day. Things were dried out completely, which leads us to point number three. In your chaos, obedience has everything to do with God's timing. Our obedience should have everything to do with God's timing. If your yes is on the table, you're spending time with him. You're not jumping too soon. You're not waiting way too late. Like when you hear God say, go, go and do what God calls you to do next. When do I obey? When God says, when do I go? When God calls, look at verse 15. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Again, in this moment, I still don't know why some of those animals were allowed to come out, got to thinking other, some of y'all are like, y'all just, you just hate cats. You're right. There are other things that rhyme with cats that you would probably agree with. Rats, bats, why? Like, why? Like, those are things that I think we could have made it without those things, but they still made it. There was still a plan, even for cats, rats, and bats. So Noah went out, and then so did all of these things. Notice a few things here. Then God said that this is the starting point. When God said go, that was the starting point for everything that we know of now. That was the starting point. There was a, a, a refresh. There was a uh, hit the escape button, and now everything is brand new. So go. Just like I told you to go in, God says, now go out. Go out. You and your household, because of your what? Your righteousness, your faithfulness. And those are the things that God's looking for in your life. Those are the things, those are the ways that God knows you are still on this. You are still in this with him. Is your faithfulness, your righteousness, choosing to do what he calls you to do. God's faithfulness and Noah's obedience. It's a dynamic duo. Verse 18, I'm sorry, verse 19. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Notice a few more things. Every beast, every living thing, they went out by families. God has always cared to use families in his great work. And he's always cared about the family. A call to faithfully stick it out together. Man, it was this call for Noah and his family. The Bible doesn't talk much about those who were in his family. If they were righteous, if they were doing a great work, it doesn't mention much at all about them, but it does about Noah. Noah. 
And all of those who were in his family, those seven people, man, they got in on the coattails of Noah's faithfulness. Man, shouldn't we all hope that that would be the same thing and how we're living our life, that if there were another situation, that because of our righteousness, because of our faithfulness, that our family would be able to be a part of that as well. Weathering the storms together, we are so much stronger together than we are apart inside of these families. And so, man, work hard to make for sure that that family is sticking together. Point number four, whether chaos abounds or ends, hence the title, worship God. Look in verse 20. Then Noah built an altar. Don't you think he's tired of building? Like, don't you think like 120 years, can we all agree? That's a long time to build something. Like my father-in-law, like he can snap things out like this. Boom, boom, boom. Whatever it is, whatever he puts his mind to, he can put it together. It's pretty amazing. Uh, I, on the other hand, I can think about it. I might could even draw it out. I might could draw it out with some great detail, but he's the one that could put it all together. But I'm pretty sure after 120 years of putting this humongous art together, probably you're not ready to go building anything else again. But look what he does. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And you already have a very limited supply of these animals, right? Very limited supply of them. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Noah's obedience got him on the boat. Amen? His gratefulness led him out of the boat. Like if I'm stuck, like, like I, I've gone on some great cruises before. It's awesome. Except when you get motion sick, motion sick people like then cruise. At some point in time, you get in there and you're like, ooh, ooh. I could not imagine being on this boat with all of the smells inside of that boat and then trying not to lose everything inside of me. Like that had to be one of the roughest rides on the planet. And so here he is now coming out after 150 days, after all of this is said and done, his first instinct is to worship God. His first instinct is to say, hey, I am so grateful for this moment. God, thank you. I think I would be doing the same thing. I don't know if I'm ready to build something, but if God called me to it, I hope that I would. But he is so grateful in this moment that he's out of this storm. He's out of the chaos. And he's still walking into an environment. He doesn't even really know at that point in time where he's landed. He doesn't even know much of anything. He just knows everybody's gone. Like there's no way anybody lived through all of this. Brand new setting, brand new everything. Gratefulness always opens the door for authentic worship. And if you showed up today and there's not a a grateful part of your life, if there's not an attitude of gratitude, then it's going to be hard for you to find those moments to worship. And some of you, maybe you've got some things, there's some deep-seated things that are brewing up in your life or whatever. If you don't find those moments to be able to give those things over to the Lord, it's going to hinder your worship. 
So man, here's all of these days, right? All of these days to be able to get out. Obedience took him in. Gratefulness got him out of there. God said, go. God said, do life. God said, go and multiply. The worship here cost a lot because there's only some of every clean animal or every clean bird. Noah had just built an ark for 120 years. He's loaded up all of these animals. He took seven pairs of every clean animal and bird. So this worship, It took some of that. It cost him something. Hard work for all of those days to keep them fed or to keep them happy inside of the ark. And now he's got to go and find those, not just any of those, but the best of those to give them to the Lord. Noah gave God his absolute best and he gave absolute most in in this great opportunity to worship. It was worth it for this sacrifice and God honored it greatly. God honored it greatly. God was pleased and God was moved in this act of worship. So my question to you is on this. You think it was this sacrifice? You think it was this moment of worship that pinged God's heart to never curse the ground again? Do you think it was this act of Noah's obedience that restored God's view of humanity? That man, there can be a plan for these people again. There's a lot of weight on Noah's shoulders in that moment, right? But God had a design and he had a plan. What could your sacrifice, what could your worship afford you and afford others? Your attitude towards God, even in those tough circumstances, what could your obedience do for others? People in your family, friends that you work with. See, it's amazing when God uses those moments, those tough times of our lives to be able to come into a setting like this and to be grateful for all of the things maybe that he saved you from. Maybe you had to walk through some tough stuff, but maybe he saved you from fill in the blank. That should change the way that we come in here. That should, that should change the way that we worship because there should be the, this attitude that God is still for me. He still loves me. He still has a plan for my life. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know how you walked into the room this morning. Maybe there's some things that are hindering your gratitude this morning. Maybe you still feel like you're on the wavy seas like Noah was. You feel like all of the waves are crashing in around you. Maybe at times you don't see a way out of those. But man, if you just stop inside of those things, and if you were to ask the Lord, God, what am I supposed to learn from this? God, would you help me to see you? Would you help me to know that you're there? God, would you, would you do something inside of my life to cause me to remember you and the plan that you have for me? And there's some great things that can come out of those tough storms of life.